0: to why we do date these guys with naomi guy and Jewel guy and today we interviewed a candidate for maricopa county attorney julie gunigal
1: so people may be wondering why we decided to interview julie gunigal and uh, as our podcast deals with dating and relationships we find that discussions about people's rights helps explain why there continue to be incredible changes in relationship culture people want to make sure that they are respected and have the right to pursue health care and lifestyle choices free from interference by government so to that point, we reached out to multiple candidates running in the Arizona primary to get their opinions on abortion, reproductive justice, and the power of the state to improve people's lives. And Julie Gunnegal was more than happy to sit down with us to talk about that.
2: Hi, everybody. I'm Julie Gunnegal. I'm a wife. I'm a mom of three school-aged children, and I'm a Notre Dame-educated attorney on her 17th year of practice. I originally got into this fight because I was so frustrated watching the priorities of our criminal legal system. Um, How they criminalize pregnancy, how there's corruption in the system, how we perpetrate some of the greatest racial disparities in policing and prosecution in the nation right here in Maricopa County. It was my pleasure to be uh, the nominee in 2020, and we missed it by just shy of 1%. So when this office came back up for a special election because the previous county attorney resigned, uh, I my phone was ringing off the hook, and folks were saying, we still believe, we still believe in a more just Maricopa County. Can we do this again? And the answer was, heck yes, we can do this again. So y'all put me on the ballot in 21 hours, the fastest of any candidate in county history. And now we're poised to make history in November to assure that we have abortion rights and access and that the criminal law does not interfere with personal uh, healthcare decisions, including the right to an abortion. And to make sure that we are actually having our priorities straight in in the county, um, which means that we eliminate the racial disparities in policing and prosecution, that we expunge universally and automatically all of our old cannabis charges, and that we get rid of the culture of corruption, collusion, and lies from this office. So, yeah, that's it. That's why I'm running. You can learn more about me at gunagle 2022com
0: Okay, that's it.
1: That's the interview. That's the interview right (laughs) (laughs) there.
0: Okay, awesome. Let's jump right into our first question. Um, What powers does the Maricopa County Attorney have to defend or harm the rights of people within the county?
2: Oh my goodness. Good question. So first of all, I want everybody listening to understand that the county attorney, that's what we call it here, would be called a state's attorney or a DA's office anywhere else. So we're talking about our prosecutor's office. And because of the size of Maricopa County, which is, you know, Phoenix and all of its suburbs, uh, this is the third largest prosecutor's office in the entire country. So w- what can I do? It has ultimate discretion in the charging of every felony that happens inside our county. All of the misdemeanors are in our unincorporated areas and is the chief legal advisor to important institutions like the County Board of Supervisors and the dozens of county agencies underneath it. But in a very real way, because of Roe v. Wade, this is also the office that will police and prosecute abortions and contraceptives in our state, which is why it is so critical that we have a county attorney who will keep this office out of your private lives.
1: Um, So obviously, you're not the only person running. Uh, There are a number of candidates running for the county attorney right now. Um, And I'm wondering what risks are being posed by electing one of your opponents to this position?
2: Great question. So I am unopposed in my primary, there is a primary on the Republican side. The current county attorney, uh, Rachel Mitchell, you will remember from the Kavanaugh hearings, she was the prosecutor Mm -hmm. who attacked Dr. Blasey Ford. And is one of the reasons why we ended up in this situation. She also has a Republican opponent, um, both of whom have vowed to prosecute abortions in our state. That is their commitment to the public. Mm -hmm. That is their elevator pitch. And they're I think just now realizing how unpopular that message is, we know that over 80% of Maricopa County voters do not want the criminal law to be used in this way. And especially when you look at which criminal laws we're talking about. So Arizona has a law in the books from 1864 that creates a mandatory minimum of two years in prison and a max of five for anyone who performs an abortion. It does not necessarily exempt the patient or the person who uh, drives them to this, uh, to this appointment. And as such, we face the very real possibility of the criminalization of, of abortion. We also have a law called the fetal personhood statute in Arizona. It's currently enjoined, but that is enjoined means stop. Um, but that is being appealed likely all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. And that law says that a fertilized egg has the same rights, privileges, and immunities as you or I which means that somebody who accesses abortion care and their provider could potentially be on the hook for first degree murder in our state, which to this day carries with it the possibility of capital punishment um, and the death penalty. So what's at risk? I mean, we are quite literally talking about people's lives that are on the line um, as as a direct result of this election. And I think it's really important that the voters know and understand that
1: hmm. So wait, so you're telling me that there's a law from before when the Civil War was wrapped up that current candidates are trying to enforce. Is that accurate?
2: <laughs> that is exactly right. So our attorney general has said that it is enforceable. And our county attorney says that she intends to enforce this 1864 law. And you're absolutely right. This is from Back when uh, the southern half of Arizona was part of the Confederacy, mm-hmm. um, when people owned people and men controlled women, and we had no right to, to vote on any of this legislation. And yes, that is the county attorney's position, that that law is enforceable. It also has a side clause that doesn't get talked about enough that creates a misdemeanor offense for anybody who even advertises an abortion or contraceptives. Wow. Wow. So it's incredibly far-reaching, it's incredibly troubling, and we don't have to theorize how police and prosecutors would use this law, because Mm -hmm. during that period when Roe was still in effect, we saw over 1,700 prosecutions related to the criminalization of pregnancy and providers, and we know that it's going to result in highly invasive uh, policing, highly racialized policing, into the most intimate areas of everyone's lives.
0: Wow. You bring up <laughs> some really good points. Really good history lesson there too. <laughs> um, will you pursue cases brought against people who have provided and or sought out reproductive care, such as abortion or gender reaffirming health care?
2: No, not now, not ever. We do not use the criminal law in this way.
0: Okay. Awesome.
2: Well, (laughs) and I know that sometimes baffles people because uh, first of all, lawyers are not known for giving definitive statements, right? Anytime you ask a lawyer, the answer is it depends. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important to be clear on this issue because when you are wishy-washy or when you say, you know, I might use my discretion, I might not, you end up in areas where you are creating chaos amongst providers where nobody knows what's legal and what is illegal. And as a result, people can't decide you know what what path they will choose because they might be facing the death penalty, or they might be facing zero enforcement whatsoever. So that's why I've been so bold and so clear on this because nobody should face that sort of legal uncertainty.
0: You
1: you might receive pushback for that, especially if the state legislature decides to like deliberately criminalize this stuff without even going back to the older laws that are on the books. Uh, would they have the ability to remove you if they disagreed with how you're pursuing charges?
2: No, they would not. So the this office answers directly to the voters. Mm. And what that means is every four years, this office is up for election. And this office wields tremendous, we call it prosecutorial discretion. But what that really means is the ability to make permanent choices on behalf of the public as to what this office pursues and what it doesn't. So what that looks like on the ground right now, for example, is there are about half the cases that get referred to this office do not get prosecuted. The prosecution uses their discretion to say, we're not going to enforce these sorts of laws. And that's already happened. So for example, this office does not, even though it is still a misdemeanor in Arizona to, uh, for example, cheat on one spouse, this office does not pursue those sorts of charges for mm-hmm. the very predictable reasons of what a waste of taxpayer resources. This has nothing to do with public safety. Um, and it's not in the interests of justice to pursue those sorts of cases. And that's, that's what this office does. And it's why I think it's really important that prosecutors are questioned and are clear with the voters as to how they intend to use this office because discretion is a powerful thing. And I would rather see the county's resources put forward toward addressing the root causes of crime toward an agenda that will actually make our county safer, that actually addresses public health crises like gun violence, Uh, mental health and addiction issues in our Mm -hmm. county that's what's going to actually make us safer not pursuing these abortion cases
1: so so can you talk a little bit about that because we're talking a little a a bit about what you're not going to do Mm -hmm. but what are some of the policies that you will be pursuing in an attempt to sort of correct those historical injustices
2: Yeah, I mean, let's talk a little bit about drug policy for a second, because I think that's what really um, is on the mind of Maricopa County voters as they think about our criminal legal system. I'll tell you the way it works right now is that there are cases that move through our system every single day through, they're called our early disposition courts. And the way it works, for example, in the case of, um, there's an ACLU case right now uh, named Lucky, and what it was, was a fella who was addicted. And if you asked him, um, he would tell you the same. His rap sheet says the same. It says time after time, he gets arrested for low level possession offenses typically. And when he was caught selling $20 worth of drugs to feed his habit, the county attorney's office said his best and final plea offer would be nine and a half years. Oh my God. And people like Mr. Lucky move through our criminal legal system every single day of the week and when you start thinking about what the cost of incarceration is our our low estimate per year is about twenty five thousand dollars. meaning that the county attorney wants the public to invest a quarter million dollars into people like mr lucky in it in a way that's not going to make them any less addicted it's not going to make us any safer and it's not going to provide him with actual real treatment So, my my platform centers addiction and recovery services. It centers treating mental health as the the crisis that they are and focusing on getting folks into treatment. And when we get at those sorts of root causes, especially because we know that mental health and addiction are driving forces behind uh, violent crime, um, we can actually make our entire county far safer while at the same time saving taxpayer money.
1: I, that all sounds very good. Uh, Naomi, do you want to do the next question, or would you like me to? I know Hi. it's a bit long.
0: Um, so many early feminists and suffragettes thinking um, thinkers discussed the problems of unpaid household labor and how they negatively impacted women's roles in society. In many ways, the problem of unpaid and poorly paid prison labor mirrors their concerns, creating an incentive towards maintaining a large population of powerless individuals who can cheaply produce goods or provide services for our society. On July 14th, during a testimony in front of the Joint Legislative Community, Arizona Department of Corrections Director David Shin said Arizona communities would collapse without cheap prison labor and urged them to keep certain remote prisons open to financially support Arizona. What is your take on his statement? And would you do anything as county attorney to help move the state away from reliance on subjected populations?
2: That statement is horrifying.
0: Mm. And
2: every Arizonan ought to be horrified that we are propping up communities and private industries uh, using prison labor. When I talk about the criminal legal system, one of the things that's often that's often said is that the system isn't broken, the system is working exactly as it's designed to work. And there is a reason why Arizona is over incarcerated, why we are the fifth largest incarcerator in the country and the eighth largest in the world. And a lot of it has to do with the financial incentives that are that are driving um, these industries. So the county attorney uh, historically has been on the side of Groups that run these prisons and benefit from this cheap labor, groups like Core Civic and ACI. And one of the things that your county attorney can do is be a voice at the legislature to start to end some of um, some of that exploitation. Uh, the other thing that we can do is we can stop incarcerating folks when it does when there's not an apparent need for public safety to incarcerate them, because when you unpack that article that giant six part exposé from the Arizona Republic you learn who is really doing the prison labor and it's primarily folks who've been convicted of these low level nonviolent crimes who have short terms of incarceration and as a result <clears throat> there is not the same incentive to you know to get people into rehabilitation programs and there's no check as to whether or not these workforce programs are even working for the incarcerated people, I know that their sales point is the idea that when you leave, you'll have marketable skills. But the, the Department of Corrections won't even release the data to the Arizona Republic to show that that is true. At almost every turn, they have been um, opaque. They have not—they uh, have not provided even a modicum of transparency with the public, and we should all be shocked at that reporting. And my understanding is there's even more to come.
1: Oh, geez. Yeah, I've been following that KGZZ and the Arizona Republic Exposés and every single story. You just think you've heard the last of it. and they give new and new, more terrifying reports. You know, there's no air conditioning in the prisons. There's no running water in some prisons. Prisons are prisoners being locked up for 23 hours a day. Uh, when they are offered job opportunities, they have the ability to get their fingers cut off working, you know, for incredibly long hours and barely getting compensated, if at all. And so, yeah, it's, it's absolutely horrifying that we're allowing this in our state. And it's, it's good to hear that you're firmly opposed to that.
2: Well, it, yeah, I can be a voice for it, too, because one of the one of the things that continues to shock me is the deal with Hickman's farm. So Hickman oh, provides Hickman's our weird. eggs. But Clint Hickman sits on the board of supervisors, um, the, bo- the board that sets the budget for the county attorney's office. Oh,
1: I did not know that.
2: And one of the things that happens uh, when someone is incarcerated, um, especially if they're in a yard that would, uh, that would be employed by Hickman's is the first job that they get is killing um, sick or diseased or old uh, hens. And yeah. they have to wade through this chicken yard day after day. They, the stories that they tell as they come home from, from this job, they are stinking of chicken shit. And because they're getting their wages are so low, and because we've changed the law allowing the prisons to sell commissary items at full retail price, um, not not wholesale, retail, a bar of soap costs four dollars. So people can't even afford, after a day's labor, to buy a bar of soap to clean the chicken shit stench off of them. I mean that that should be shocking to to all of us.
1: We're going to do a special anti-sponsorship message after this podcast, talking about different egg brands people should be supporting. rather <laughs> than
2: <laughs> Not a bad idea, but I mean, and that's one of the easy ones. But one of the other things about that expose was how many items that are in our daily lives we don't realize are built with, ch- uh, with prison labor. So for example, from time to time, I like to go grab a drink at the Rough Rider. Um, All of that beautiful furniture in that, that speakeasy bar, all created with prison labor.
0: You are kidding. I love that bar. That's a great bar. I had no idea.
2: Yep.
1: I I haven't mentioned this in detail on the podcast, but when I was at ASCO, I was working on a startup uh, that was designing modular bras for women who had like asymmetrical breasts or otherwise normal bras couldn't fit. And one of the big hurdles we ran into is it's nearly impossible to produce a cheap bra in the United States because major brands like Victoria's Secret rely so heavily on prison labor. And so they'll always be able to undercut bra manufacturing because they have people who are working for 15 cents up to a dollar an hour making lingerie for them. And you just, unless you're willing to use that exact same source of labor, you can't compete with them. It's, It's deeply frustrating.
0: The owner, what of Victoria's Secret? Um, I just watched the uh, Hulu documentary on it. Yeah, and he started by owning limited the the store limited, and then moved into like Victoria's Secret. He bought out the original owners, and they were one of the first people that actually they are one of the first big companies that moved out of the United States to get cheaper, um, supplies and cheaper labor.
1: And I guess they came back. Well, I don't want to spend too much time talking about lingerie. Um, we did have one last question dealing with kind of the powers of the county attorney. So the general election is still several months away, yet many Arizona citizens are looking for what they can do to maintain the reproductive healthcare access and choices. Stepping outside the election for a second, what do you suggest they do as we wait for November?
2: The best thing that people can do right now is get engaged with a, an abortion fund. Mm. Um, if you're interested in preserving a, uh, both choice and access, that is the the key. And right now those funds are working overtime to either help people find an Arizona-based provider when they are available. Most have paused abortion services or help people find out-of-state um, uh, transportation options, housing, et cetera, to be able to to maintain the ability to have an abortion. I can't even believe these words are coming out of my mouth, by the way. This is just, it's so ghastly. It is so unfair. Um, It is so cruel to to Arizonans what is happening.
1: The thesis we keep returning to in our podcast is when we talk about why it seems a lot less people are willing to date, one general message seems to be a lot of women don't think men see them as human. And with a lot of recent legislation, a lot of recent pushes to criminalize women's former rights... Um, I I feel that thesis has been supported over and over again Um, because a lot of the people making these laws just generally don't think that women should have the ability to make choices for themselves, which is uh, deeply unsettling.
2: And arrogant. Yes. (laughs) I mean, I I went to law school because I wanted to practice law, not gynecology, and the fact that our county attorney is choosing to make these life or death decisions on behalf of Arizonans with zero knowledge about medicine, about practice, about the view on the ground, about the cruelty involved. I mean, it should be shocking. Politicians should not be practicing medicine.
1: Absolutely
0: preach. (laughs) So we have a couple more minutes. Um, We were just wondering if we could ask you some um, non hard hitting questions, move into more of the subjects around our podcast, which is dating and relationships. Um, So you're a busy professional, obviously, you mentioned um, that you have three kids. Uh, Do you have any advice for our audience on how to balance a successful career and a relationship or dating life?
2: Oh, y'all, that's so hard. Um, <laughs> this the, is the hard hitting section now. <laughs> no, I mean, it it is. and and forgive me for being, you know, real vulnerable for a second, but I almost lost my marriage over the last election. It, mm. It's so draining to constantly, you know, be a part. and it's it's just and and this is the glib and cliche part. It's gotta be a priority. Um, your partner absolutely has to be a priority in your life. Otherwise, I don't I don't see how it stays together. So I can tell you that this cycle, um, every single week on my calendar, I have a blocked off uh, slice of time. The phones go off. The technology goes off. And that is just about showing up for my spouse. And that has made a world of difference.
0: Well, you heard it here, folks first you gotta you gotta block off time in your calendar just priority
1: <laughs> give your 30 minutes to the podcasters every week and then your you know, three hours to your significant other
2: <laughs> right and it's it's almost to the minute too it's so beautiful though my my staff um knows that and prioritizes that and that is just you know sacred off-limits time always
0: awesome I like that I, I think that's yeah it's yeah, solid advice yeah so, uh, uh, so as we, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. So you. Oh,
1: thought so we're gonna fight over this. Um, so as we start to wrap this up, I'm wondering. You've already mentioned abortion funds, but are there any other important causes you'd like to direct our audiences support to? Anything that they should be paying attention to? Anything that motivated actors can do in order to make the world better?
2: There is one other group that I don't think gets the love and attention that it it needs and deserves, and that's the Arizona's for Transparency and Accountability and Corrections. Mm. So if you care about prison labor, if you care about the abuses um, in the criminal legal system, connect with this group. It is uh, uh, primarily people who've been directly impacted, who have served time, who know what they're saying when they say that we need independent accountability for our prisons, And they are driving the push to get us there. So that is a group that I love and support. Um, I also can't say enough good things about mass liberation, Arizona. So Mm -hmm. over the last two years, when we saw the abuses of the Phoenix PD and the Maricopa County Attorney's Office, framing people, putting forward fake gang charges, some of which people were looking at 100 and a half years for nothing more than exercising their right to protest. It was MassLib that did this incredible work to hold prosecutors accountable.
0: Awesome.
1: Dang, We'll we'll definitely put links to both of those groups in the podcast description. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, um, just wrapping up our podcast, we really appreciate you coming um, to our little Zoom call today. Um, Thank you for answering all the hard-hitting questions and the not so (laughs) hard-hitting all of them are I feel like all of them were pretty hard-hitting questions (laughs) even the dating ones um so thank you so much for being here we really appreciate it um we actually it's really funny Joel um got the email from your assistant that um we were actually gonna have you on the podcast and I was like oh my god I just canvassed for her so uh, through Planned Parenthood it was so funny um but no, we, I really appreciate your your motivation for doing this, as well as um, putting aside your personal life and being able to stand up for other people's rights. Like that's a huge sacrifice, and I really appreciate that, especially as a woman in Arizona. So,
1: <laughs> and I guess one question is: people listening to this podcast might be hearing of you for the first time. So, how can they come out and support you if they like what they're hearing? How can oh they help you? Aid. if we move towards the general.
2: Yes, uh, we need your help because these down ballot races do not get the love and attention that they deserve. So especially when it comes to knocking on doors, texting folks, calling people, we have a giant volunteer army and we want you to come join it. Um, there is a volunteer form at gunagall2022.com. And for those where who might have uh, no time, but potentially some treasure, there's also a big donate button right there in the top corner.
0: <laughs> awesome. Okay. Joel, do you have anything, any last things to say before we wrap this up? Uh,
1: thank you again for spending some time with us. Uh, really appreciate knowing that there's people running for positions of power who uh, care about the community and want to make sure the community isn't going to be suffering in the next decade or so.
2: It is my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And the dating post row episode was amazing.
0: (laughs) Okay, well, uh, thank you again. And everyone listening, have a great rest of your week. Um, And yeah, next time we're actually interviewing her opponent. I'm just kidding, we're not. Uh, (laughs) um, But everybody have a great week and thank you so much for listening.
1: Thanks for the use of our theme music, which is the song Drop by Ketsa. You can find more of their music online at Ketsa.uk. You can also find Date These Guys online on Twitter and Instagram at Date These Guys, or visit our website at datetheseguys.org. If you have questions you'd like us to discuss in the podcast or marriage proposals for either of us, shoot us an email at datetheseguys@gmail.com. at gmail.com.